Aren't you glad to know that the Lord loves you with, the Bible says, an everlasting love? You may be seated, and uh, we're going to pray, and as we pray, we're going to, our, our Sunday school class, we uh, spent more time than we normally do because people had so many things on their heart, and they covered things from death, sickness, even a suicide, uh, things like that that are uh, going on in people's lives. And you know what? Can you imagine if we were to take time this morning just in this group that's here and let everybody share what is really bothering them, what's really on their heart, you would probably be absolutely amazed at how much is going on in our own church family. And yet, the Lord knows, doesn't he? And the Lord cares, and the Lord is working, and the Lord is blessing. And uh, I wanted to take just a little bit of time to tell you what's going on with me. Uh, back in September, uh, I had a couple of weeks where I had pneumonia. And uh, you remember Isaac uh, preaching back then. And apparently because of that, I've got something else going on with my lungs and I'm really short of breath, and uh, the last couple of days have been really, really rough. Today's a little better, thank the Lord for that. And um, I've got to see a pulmonologist, I've got to have a lung function test, and got to have a CT scan to see what all is going on in there. And what it is, it's called a uh, pleural uh, effusion, which means that fluid is gathered in my lungs, but not where pneumonia is or anything. It's in the lining, and when that gets inflamed, then the lungs are unable to expand and contract like they normally do, which can be a little bit of a problem. And uh, with COVID-19, the thing is, pulmon pulmonologists, I guess that's what you call them, um, are kind of booked up. And so uh, I... I'm trying to get into one, and the earliest they've been able to schedule the test is for the middle of February. That's a little bit long, and not see the doctor until the middle of March. And so if you would join me, first of all, pray for healing on that, and secondly, pray that we could get into the doctor and get treatment and get this thing taken care of uh, before long. Because I can just be sitting in a chair doing nothing and uh, then next thing I know, I'm breathing like I've been outside uh, working or running or something like that. And uh, it's kind of difficult. And some of you are going shorter sermon, shorter sermon, shorter sermon. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Take that up with the Lord, I guess. And uh, anyway, we'd just like to get it taken care of. So I wanted to share that with you when you notice some things like uh, the last couple of weeks uh, there'd be a cough that would come up from nowhere it's not COVID I've been tested on that three times I have not had it I do not have it and uh, sounds like a Dr. Seuss book but um, nonetheless that that's okay that's what the problem is and so uh, I would appreciate your prayers got it okay so uh, just so you'll know a uh, little bit about what's going on. You, you'll know how to pray for us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer now, okay? Father, as we think about what it is that touches our lives, 
We wish we understood everything. We wish we knew the beginning and the ending and the in-between. We wish that we could put it all together, but it really does kind of puzzle us sometimes. And we don't understand how things fit in our life. And we don't even understand how we fit in this life. And yet we're here for a reason. And we want to thank you that we do. And every person that we know, every problem that we face, every situation that we find ourselves in, there's a reason for it. And there's some way that you can be glorified in it. Now, Lord, what we are asking is that as you are comforting those who grieve, as you are healing those who are sick, as you are providing for needs for all of your children, and as you were doing things that are exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, we're asking you at the same time, would you give us wisdom? Because as your children, we really do want to serve. We really do want to help. We really do want to minister. We really do want to pray intelligently. We would love to be able to do whatever it is that we can do to make life easier and better for someone else. We want to be able to, through the good works that we do, testify of Jesus Christ. As Christ said, let our light shine before men so others see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We would also like to help your children, those who already know you, and to be able to minister to them to uh, be able to offer a helping hand to them, to give support to them in any way that we can. And so, Father, as you were doing your work, would you please guide us so that we can join you in what you were doing? Would you please give us spiritual sensitivity so we know when to get involved? And, Lord, we also know when to maybe back off a little bit and let somebody else do the work. We're asking you, Lord, that in all things your children might be well taken care of and that you might use us as you touch other people's lives. And in all things, Father, may your people do well and may they be healed and strengthened, comforted, needs met, whatever might be the situation. And at the same time, Father, may we be sensitive to do what you want us to do in the way you want us to do it for your glory and for their good. And so, Lord, as you show us, we'll do what you tell us to do and we'll do it with cheerfulness and we'll do it for your glory and not for the praise of men. And we do it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So take your Bibles this morning and we're going to go and look at a an entire chapter, and um, I started to divide this up and had it divided up some, but uh, then I got to thinking about it, and what we're going to talk about today, I would kind of like for it to hit you with full impact, so we're going to go through the whole thing, so let's go to Exodus 19, and we'll begin reading in verse 1, and instead of reading the whole thing and then making some points on it, I'm going to make the point and then read the uh, verses. They'll uh, be marked on the uh, slides so that you can uh, keep up. And we're going to talk about 
how to climb Mount Sinai. In the Bible, Mount Sinai is a picture of the law of God. And when we think about, by the time we move into the New Testament, Paul had trouble with people who kept trying to impose the law of God upon believers who had been saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was as if they were saying in the book of Galatians and others that Jesus is good, but if you will add a little bit of Old Testament law, then salvation is assured. You've kind of got to become a Jew as well as putting your faith in Jesus Christ in order to really make it to heaven. Well, Paul had some dispute for that. He said that we're not saved by the works of the law. But at another point, he told us that the law indeed is a good thing if it's used properly. The law is like a mirror, and you look in the mirror, and you can see that your face is dirty. You've got some smudges on it. But you would never think of using the mirror in your bathroom to clean your face. You wouldn't take the mirror off of the wall and start scrubbing your face with it. A mirror has one purpose, to reveal the problem. You use other things to get your face clean. Well, in the same way, the law of God reveals sin, but it cannot cleanse from sin. In fact, the apostle Paul, when he writes about himself, he said, I kept all of the law, but then when I got to that one that said, thou shalt not covet, that's the one that got me. That's the one that I really couldn't handle. And so for you and for me, we understand by looking at the law of God that we are lawbreakers and that we can't cleanse ourselves and that the law can't cleanse us. It's not a matter of just do better from here on out. Somebody's got to pay for all of your sin. And we understand that's where the gospel is such good news. Jesus, as God's son, came and lived a perfect life, fulfilling every part of God's law, right? And he did that on our behalf. He did that because we couldn't. And so when he went to the cross, he went to the cross like that unblemished lamb. No fault, no sin. Pilate was right when he said, I find no fault in him because there indeed was no fault in Jesus Christ, the unblemished lamb of God. And yet the Bible says way back in the book of Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, yet it pleased the father to bruise him. Well, what was he being bruised for? Well, it also says in Isaiah, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And we are so thankful that Jesus came to die on a cross for us and to be punished in our place. It wasn't just about the nails. It wasn't just about the beatings. It was about the wrath of God being put upon Jesus Christ and Jesus bearing it in full because we could never make it on our own. And I want to use this story today in Exodus 19 as an illustration that tells you what you would have to do, what kind of person you would have to be 
in order to climb Mount Sinai because out of two million people, probably only one was able to do that. And even he, Moses, was inadequate on everything he did because he didn't even get to go into the promised land because of his own sin. Remember that? And so when we look at these things, we'll make a point and then we'll uh, read what the scripture has to say and you'll be able to see where we're going with all of this and you'll be able to see how what Moses couldn't do and what you couldn't do was fulfilled indeed by the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that and to the praise of his glorious grace, then we open our Bibles and we take a look at the scripture. And number one, I want you to understand this is all having to do with a fulfilled promise. God is faithful and we are not. And look at this. It says in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Verse 2. For they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Where's the promise in that? Well, you have to go back and remember the story of the burning bush. And remember when uh, Moses encountered God and God said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and deliver my people. I've heard their groaning. And in chapter 3, verse 12 of Exodus, so he said, I will certainly be with you. This is God speaking. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So the fact that they had camped there and the fact that they are in Sinai at all is a part of the promise of God. Yes, I know they're going to get the Ten Commandments and, and all of that. But understand that Moses had serious doubts about his ability to lead the people out. He had serious doubts about whether God was really going to use him. In fact, he asked God to send someone else. And God said, just hold it right there. You're going to be back here one day. And a lot of people don't realize... That the burning bush, that experience, took place by Mount Sinai. And Moses is back on familiar ground. I wonder if he walked by and he told some of the people, there's the bush. There's the place where I met God. There's the place where he called me to go to Egypt, confront Pharaoh. And I didn't know what all was going to happen. But after all of those plagues, he let us go. And here we are right back. At the same place. What, a, what an amazing thing. God said, when you come back here to worship me, then you're going to know. Well, that's an understatement. Of course, he's going to know. So all of this is the result of the faithfulness of God. And I just want to say, everything in our life comes back to the fact of God is either faithful or he's not. God can either be trusted or he can't. And everything you look at life, everything you look at the situation around you, everything you try to face boils down to this. Is God a faithful God or not? 
Sometimes we act as though God's kind of iffy. Sometimes we act as though maybe, maybe not. We'll put him to the test and see. By this point in our experience, we ought to know. You don't have to put God to the test. You already know that he's a faithful God. You already know that he is a God who will see you through and will do everything that he has promised to do. And that's what Moses is finding out now. Without a promise, you don't really have anything, do you? Secondly, notice here that God puts his power on display because only God can deliver his people. This is not how smart is Moses, what kind of a plan does Moses have, what kind of charisma does Moses have, what kind of a leader is Moses, because the answer is not much. When we go back and we look at Moses and the way he was and the kind of shape he was in at the burning bush, it doesn't leave us with a whole lot of hope. But this is not about Moses. It's not about you. It's not about me or anything we can do. This is about the power of God. The Bible says in verse 3, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and to all the children of Israel, you have seen that uh, what I did to the Egyptians, and I, how I bore you, excuse me, on eagles' wings, and brought you where? And notice he doesn't say to Sinai or to the desert or anything. Look at this. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And that's the most important thing, isn't it? It's not so much that we get out of a situation that we're in. It's not so much that we get to a place where we want to be. It's this. Has God delivered us and brought us to himself? He has the power to do that. To take you out of the kingdom of Satan. Out of the kingdom of darkness. And to bring you to himself. Verse 5. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And I want you to think about for people that have been enslaved for 400 years, that they're going to come out and be with the Lord and he would be with them, pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, leading them, taking care of them, fighting battles for them and guiding them and taking them to that promised land that he had given to Abraham. You think about how he is going to make them, instead of just a group of ragtag slaves, he's going to actually make them a kingdom. And they're going to be a kingdom of priests and a special treasure to the Lord. You and I would have treasured Egypt. We would have looked and said, wow, Pharaoh is so impressive. All of the 
architecture in Egypt is so impressive. Everything that they have done with that land, everything they get out of the Nile River, everything that they do, so impressive. Well, what about Israel? And we would have said, the slaves? What do they have to offer us? What do we see there out of them? And we would never have seen anything that it would have been impressive out of the slaves, the Israeli slaves in Egypt. And yet God says, when I looked down, I was not impressed with the idols of Egypt. I was not impressed with the people of Egypt or anything they had accomplished. But I looked down and among those slaves, I saw the DNA of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I remembered what I had promised those men when I revealed myself to them. And these are their offspring. These are the ones that contain their DNA. And I will do what I have promised to do. And I will treasure the people of Israel as he does to this very day, folks. And who could do that? Only a God with enough power. The power to take them out of Egypt the power to take them through the wilderness, the power to put them in the land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Only that God could preserve the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, to this very day. He has the power to do that. The Bible also talks about, thirdly, that there's a proclamation and a response Hearing his word is the key. In verse 7, So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. I wish that were true. I wish that were true in their life. I wish it were true in my life. I wish it were true in your life. But we're so quick to make commitments, so quick to make promises to the Lord that we don't keep. Even the Apostle Paul said, the things that I would not do, I do, and the things that I should do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? That's human nature. It's not going to be very long that these people who said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, are going to have Aaron make a golden calf. Remember that? It's not going to take long. And we're like that. The Bible goes on to say, So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And an all-knowing Lord, can you imagine what he thought? Verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you, in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. And notice how they go back and forth. God gives a word to the people, the people speak, and Moses takes it back unto the Lord. This is an amazing thing because it's all about hearing the word of the Lord. It's all about the proclamation of what God has to say and getting that to the people. Now, 
as we have seen in our own life and in their life. Sometimes our word doesn't mean near as much. We put a lot of stock on our commitment to the Lord and all of that, and yet we fail so very often. But one thing we know for sure, God never fails to keep His word at all or in any situation. Can you say amen to that? Because we need that affirmation. Number four, I want you to think about purification. He's going to talk about it now, but understand this. The best you can do is not good enough. Because I want you to notice as we read this, it's not like God says, go purify the people and then bring them all up here. They still have a boundary that they can't cross. Why? Their purification What they do for themselves is never going to be good enough. Just like the way you purify yourself is never going to be acceptable to God. The Bible says in verse 10, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down from Mount, upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. For whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come come near the mountain. Notice they could come near, but they couldn't touch it. No matter how much they purified themselves, no matter how clean they may be, no matter how clean their clothes may have been, they were still not allowed to even touch the base of the mountain without capital punishment, execution. Did you notice that? You know, so many times we try to come before God and we say, Oh God, I've done everything you say. Now I'm worthy to pray. Are you really? Have you really done everything that he said? Sometimes we come and we try to cleanse and purify ourselves as though that makes us worthy. But the testimony of Scripture over and over and over and over again is, yes, you ought to be pure. And yes, it's right to want to be pure. But your purity is never enough because you are always tainted by sin. And these people were as well. No matter how pure they were, they still were not allowed to come to even touch the base of the mountain, much less to climb the mountain to go and be in the presence of God. Which leads me to number five. Notice the word preparation. Make yourselves ready. God requires 100% attention. Now, you're going to notice as we read this, it's not like anything that they were doing at this point was going to be wrong. God is just calling them to 100% participation and attention as he gets ready to do something spectacular upon this mountain, something that the people would not understand. Verse 14, 
So Moses went down from the mountain. Boy, he's making me tired already. How many times he's going up and down. And he goes to the people and sanctified the people or set them apart or made them holy. And they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. And then he says something strange. Do not come near your wives. And all of the wives were probably saying amen, but what's the deal? It's not that there's anything wrong. It's a reference to sexual relations. Nothing wrong with that. God created sex and God put it in the family and in the covenant relationship. What is he saying? God is saying, I'm going to do something that is so spectacular. I don't want even a good thing I don't want even something that I created. I don't want something that would be enjoyable to be a distraction. You need to have your attention on me. You ever have trouble paying attention? You ever have trouble paying attention when you're reading the Bible? You ever have trouble paying attention when you're in a church service? You ever have trouble with that? Well, God says, I want you to pay attention to what I say because this is not just wasting time. We're not just killing time here. We're looking at his eternal, infallible, all-sufficient word. We ought to treat it differently and treat this time differently. And yet the people of Israel struggled like we did because they could not give 100% participation in this even in the preparation of what they were doing their minds would wander they had a tendency to do what they wanted to do they had a tendency to be impressed by things other than the Lord didn't they it's always been a problem and that brings number six because God desires preeminence we know in the New Testament Christ is to have preeminence in all things because all glory goes to him And notice in verse 16 what he is going to do on that mountain. You talk about getting their attention and glorifying himself. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud And that's not any human being playing the trumpet. That's coming from heaven. So that all the people who were in the camp trembled. They couldn't pass this by. They couldn't ignore this. It frightened them. It was so loud. Verse 17. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood... At the foot of the mountain. Now remember they didn't cross those barriers. But there they are as close as they can get. Verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai 
on the top of the mountain. Now, you notice here that as close as they are, there's still a separation between God and between the people. And they are experiencing and looking at some incredible and significant and fantastic events that are taking place as God shows himself upon the mountain. I notice that as they do this, the people are trembling. They're not running up to give God a high five. They're not coming up saying, oh, put your arms around me, like a lot of songs say. They're not coming up saying, oh, Lord, I just want to sit in your lap like some big Santa Claus. Can you imagine? In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say, at this point, when Moses says, make sure you don't cross here, the people are going, are you kidding? I'm not even going to get any closer than I have to get right now. This is the kind of stuff that is terrifying, and they are having tremendous awe as they look at the Lord. Probably not enough when you think about the golden calf that's coming along, but nonetheless, there they are as they stand before the Lord experiencing all of these incredible and terrifying things that are coming their way. Number seven, notice there's a prohibition. The law always says, keep out. If you're going to go on a legalistic basis, taking the law of God, you will always see sin. You will always see failure. You will see always a reason to turn and to run, to walk away or to find a barrier. The Bible says, And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up, verse 21, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord. You know they say curiosity killed the cat? Well, this is kind of what he's talking about here. And many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Can you imagine when the Lord breaks out against you? And so there's this prohibition. No matter how good they are, no matter how hard they try, no matter how many things they obey, they still are not worthy to come before the Lord. A friend of mine told me that he was praying one time and he was feeling so guilty about who he was and what he had done and the way that he had lived that he went before the Lord and he said, Oh, dear God, I know I'm not worthy to pray to you. And he said, and then it was like a voice inside of his head said, When am I ever worthy to pray before the Lord? Prayer is not a matter of worthiness. The Lord's Supper is never a matter of worthiness. It is all when we come to say, I am unworthy and I don't have any right to be in your presence except for the worthiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. And so we bring to the very last thing that we're going to look at today and that is there had to be a qualified peacemaker a mediator, someone that is acceptable both to God and to man. And that, of course, in this case, is Moses. Verse 23, But Moses said to the Lord, 
The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned me, saying, warned us, saying, set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. Verse 25, So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. How many times has he gone up and down and up and down? Because when you look at all of this, whatever it is that they do and whatever it is that this unchanging holy God does, the people still are not qualified and they're not worthy to be in his presence even at their very best. And neither are you and neither am I. We can never be good enough to waltz in to the presence of God. And so many people think that when they die, they're just going to go to heaven and waltz into God and sit in his lap or whatever. And uh, I've got news for you. That's never been the case. Someone said to me one time when uh, we were talking, planning a funeral, and they said, well, I'll tell you one thing. When I get to heaven... There's going to be some explaining that God's going to do for me. Folks, it doesn't work that way. We've lost our view of the holiness of God. We think God is a buddy. We think that God is a beggar. We think that God is just an impersonal force, maybe. We think that God is just happy with us, and He's glad we're on His team And uh, so now we can come in and we can make demands before God. And you never find that anywhere in the scripture. Well, doesn't the Bible say, though, that we can be in his presence? Doesn't the Bible say, talking about heaven and talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that there is a family relationship, that there's a friendship relationship? What in the world is all that about? Why does God present himself in this way and the reason is that this is how it really is apart from Christ when you think about outside of Jesus Christ you would have no access no way to get to God you would have no relationship with God there would be nothing friendly between you and God nothing but hostility because you sin against God And he would be holding that against you. But the good news is, when Jesus died on the cross, God the Father took everything he had against you, and rightly so, and he put it all on his own son. And Jesus willingly bore that in your place. And I'd like for you to stop and think about what that means. Every little bit of gossip, every lie, every bitter thought. Every time you've had the idea that maybe life has not treated you fair. Every time you looked at someone else and envied them. Every little thought of jealousy. 
every little bit of, of hatred and aggravation, even on the highways, all of those things as well as the biggies, adultery, murder, any of those kind of things, all of those things were put on Christ. How much would he have suffered just for your sin? Not to mention the sins of every believer that would ever live. All of it piled on the innocent Son of God in your place so that you could have a family relationship, a friendly relationship with God that would not exist apart from that. Next time you pray and you say, in Jesus' name, you ought to stop and think about that. The reason you can pray and talk to God is because of what he has done for you. The price that he paid for you. And don't take that ever again for granted. Whenever you talk about our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, don't just go real fast past that. Think about what that means. Because why do you need Jesus? Because he's the promised one. Back in the Garden of Eden, God promised to send a Savior. Why do you need Jesus? Because he has all power. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Why do you need Jesus? Because he's the proclamation of God. In fact, he is even called the living word of God. Why do you need Jesus? Because he was fully prepared for this from before the foundation of the world. Not one thing was left to chance. Not one thing was left out. All of it was taken care of. Why do you need Jesus? Because he is the preeminent one. The one that fulfilled the will of God for the glory of God and did it completely on the cross. And he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto you. Why do you need Jesus? Because he has broken the barrier of prohibition. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He said in John chapter 14, I'm going to go away, and if I go away, I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself so that you can enter in to the Father's house where those mansions that have been prepared for you by Jesus are ready and waiting for you. Why do you need Jesus? Because he is the qualified peacemaker. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. And in fact, he not only is the one who made your peace, but the Bible says he is our peace. Having broken down the wall of, particip uh, of partition between us. Which means the prohibition is gone. And it's over. Not because of you. Not because of me. Not because of what we've done. But because Jesus died in our place. Fulfilled the will of God. Rose from the dead. And is now our advocate before the Father. Where he says to us. Come, welcome into the presence of God. And there in the welcome, you find that God is your friend, 
that you find that God is for you, that you find the God who loves you with an everlasting love. Without Jesus, you find Sinai, and you can't climb that mountain. But with Jesus, with Jesus, he is your peace. And he says, welcome and come. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, we come to say thank you for the way that we find in Jesus Christ. We come to say forgive us that we take that way for granted, almost like it's no big deal, almost like it's automatic, almost like maybe we even deserve it. But Father, we understand that had it not been for him, we would find ourselves in the same position as the children of Israel, watching, terrified, scared to death, and with a hand pushing us back. But because of Jesus, we find a nail-scarred hand that takes a hold of us and ushers us into the presence of a loving God who receives us, who accepts us, who never leaves us or forsakes us, the one who has even prepared a place for us so that we could be with him forever with no barriers and with Jesus himself being our peace. Now, Lord, there are some people that are watching this on live stream that need to trust Jesus. There are some people in this room today live who need to turn from their sin and they need to put their trust in Jesus. And my prayer is that they would do that today for the glory of God and in the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.